Welcome to week four of Vital Truths Applied. In this series, we are looking at uh, key passages from the biblical book of Romans in which the Bible teaches us about how we are supposed to apply the things about God that were taught in the first half of the book. So let's take a moment to pray, and then let's dig into Romans. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for revealing your will to us in your word, and I pray now that our minds would be sharp and our hearts would be open as we seek to understand what you have to tell us from the Bible today. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So the two key introductory uh, verses for this whole section of Romans are Romans 1 and 2, which um, hopefully you guys have been uh, looking at uh, recently since that was our memory verse. And uh, I hope many of you uh, have been uh, thinking about those verses over the last month. And most of the rest of the book of Romans is really an explanation and an expansion of those first two verses of Romans 12. And the section of those uh, verses that our chapter today is expanding on is verse 2. And there it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I just, I do have to say, I know all you guys were really impressed by Micah until you saw Rachel do the verse, right? I mean, <laughs> it was like, wow, that kid's only like four years old and he knows the verse. And then it's like, no, wait, this one's three years old and she knows the verse. <laughs> anyway, um, the second sentence there is the one we're going to focus on today, especially. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, when we have had our minds transformed and renewed, we will be able to tell what God wants from us um, in the various situations that arise in our lives. And uh, the biggest thing that we can do to cooperate with God in the renewing of our minds is to spend time reading and studying the Bible. And that is the essential core of being transformed and learning the will of God. Many, many situations are dealt with pretty straightforwardly in the Bible. And if we know our Bibles, those questions about what is God's will in this or that situation will be answered for us because it's right there in the Bible. And then there's many other situations that are not uh, addressed directly in the Scriptures, but uh, there are clear principles that are taught in the Bible that apply to uh, many other situations that are not uh, really specifically addressed in the text. So when we're faced with a choice in life, is this behavior right or wrong? What should I do? Is it okay to, to do this or that thing? Um, is this acceptable to God or is it forbidden and sinful? We're able to use the teaching of the Bible to guide us, right? But sometimes it isn't very easy to tell whether a principle really applies to a particular situation. And sometimes we're left with tough decisions about whether particular behaviors are good or bad. Now, I want to uh, do an illustration here of this kind of moral decision-making that we often do in our lives. So, um, so very often, we have a, uh, a choice to make. There's a, a situation approaches, and we don't know whether the thing that, we're, that is an option for us is acceptable behavior for God, that God approves of, or is it sinful behavior 
that God disproves. And so many times every day we have to make those kind of decisions. Is this thing okay or not? And a lot of the time, it's pretty easy. So we're going to uh, show some examples here, and it's pretty easy to tell which bucket these go in because we do know our Bibles a bit and we know the will of God somewhat. So loving your spouse, is that in the good bucket or the bad bucket? Obviously, we'll put that one in the, in the good bucket. How about worshiping idols? Clearly goes in the bad bucket, right? The Bible is very clear on that. Feeding the poor, put that in the good bucket. Greed, put that in the bad bucket. Working hard at your job, no problem, that's a good one. Wearing your name tag at church, definitely a very good one. God approves when people wear their name tags at church. Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, one of the areas where it gets uh, a little more difficult sometimes is in our entertainment choices. So sometimes they're easy, you know, Veggie Tales, very good, except almost as good as wearing your name tag. Uh, pornography, pretty obviously, that's uh, in the bad bucket. But then we've got, I've got here Game of Thrones. So what do we do with Game of Thrones? Is that acceptable behavior? Is it okay for a Christian to watch something like that? Or is it sinful? to watch something like that. And, uh, and Game of Thrones is just an example of the type of maybe R-rated films that are out there that have things in them that uh, raise some questions. So I'm just gonna set that one aside for a moment. Um, how about this one? Observing special days, like holy days, like the most common one is the Sabbath. Right? So, observing the Sabbath, is that something that uh, we need to do or not? Um, do you guys ever watch that movie, Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire, great movie. If you haven't seen it, it is on Amazon. You can, you can watch it. If you haven't seen it, do it. Um, it's based on a true story of uh, a 1920s British athlete named Eric Little. And Eric Little was uh, the favorite to win the Olympic 100 meters. Um, but he had a strong conviction... He was a strong Christian guy, later became a missionary to China and all this, but, but he, he believed that it would be wrong for him to compete on a Sunday. And when he found out that one of the prelims for his 100 meters was going to be on a Sunday, he said, I'm not doing it. And he was ready to give up his shot at the Olympics um, because he felt that it would be wrong to be doing sports on the Lord's Day. Um, I won't spoil it if you haven't seen the movie as to how that all worked out. But, uh, so what do we think? Observing special days. Um, is, it, is it something that's required of us or not? I think we'll, we'll set that one aside for a second. We'll come back to that. Um, next one here. How about beer? Is that acceptable behavior for Christians or not? Um, this is one that Christians have been split on for a long time, um, and uh, it's, it's one that I've seen uh, a very big shift in the prevailing attitudes of Christians over the last couple of decades. used to be that for the majority of conservative Christians, uh, the answer was definitely no. Christians don't drink alcohol. But over the last 20, 30 years, there's really been a pretty big shift so that now it seems like 
the majority of Christians feel like it's okay. Um, but there's definitely still a lot of people on both sides of this debate. So we're also just going to set that one aside for a second. Um, then the last couple of years, we've had a couple of other uh, big uh, questions that have come up relating to the pandemic. How about wearing a face mask? Is that something that God wants us to do or not? Or how about getting the COVID vaccine? Um, is that acceptable behavior for Christians or is that something that God disproves of? We're gonna set all those aside for a moment. Um, what do we do with things like that that are a little more uh, debatable and, uh, and, and unclear? The Bible has promised that as the Holy Spirit transforms our minds, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So we should be able to determine which bucket these things go in. Um, but sometimes we still have questions. So what about if we have a third option? Happen to have another bucket here? And on this bucket, there's a label that says disputable matters, disputable matters. And I'm going to uh, put most of these things. I'm going to put the, uh, let's see, I'm going to put the observing special days into disputable matters. I'm going to put Game of Thrones in there, and I'm going to put the beer in there. Um, COVID ones, we'll, we'll hold off on those for a moment. I took the wording for this label from Romans chapter 14. Uh, if you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 14, this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of Romans 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Uh, for, to their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand." One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers each, every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves alone. So here's the situation that Paul sees happening um, in the churches here and that he is addressing. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And what, what are these disputable matters? He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. So it's in this passage, and there's a parallel passage we're going to look at soon, where the Bible clearly creates this third bucket here of disputable matters 
that are a separate category from the other two. Um, and the two specific things that are mentioned in these verses is uh, whether or not it's okay for Christians to eat meat, and we will talk in a little bit here about why that was an issue for these people. And, uh, and then it also mentions the issue of special days that we saw on the card already, and, and so we know for sure that that goes in that bucket because it's put there right here in Romans. Um, but before we get, get too far here, I want to look at some more of the text and get a better idea of what this third option is really all about. What does this, uh, this term disputable matters, what are we talking about here? Um, first thing we can see in these first verses in Romans is that the disputable matters are behaviors that Christians are split about whether or not they're okay. Can we meet? Some say yes, some no. Can we, uh, do we need to observe these special days? Some say yes, some say no. Um, but if disagreement about whether something is okay or not is enough to put it in the disputable matters bucket, pretty soon our other two buckets are going to be fairly empty because there's people that disagree about an awful lot of things. Um, so there must be something more than simply... Uh, that everything is disputable, because that is not Christian teaching. The Bible teaches us that some things are very definitely wrong, and some things are very definitely right and good. Those first few things we put in the buckets, the easy ones at the beginning, um, loving your spouse and feeding the poor, and those, those are not disputable matters, right? Uh, none of those things are, are, are questionable. The Bible gives very clear teaching on those, and, and there are some things that belong in one of the first two buckets, despite the fact that not everybody agrees, right? Um, so when we look at the teachings of Jesus himself, we see that many times he is correcting people on what they think is right and wrong, right? There's quite a few stories where Jesus tells people, you think it's okay to do this. It's not okay. Or he tells people, you think it's wrong to do this thing. It's not wrong. It's okay. Um, there's a whole section in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, where there's, he introduces all these uh, short sayings uh, uh, with, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, and in each one of those, he is correcting people on which bucket they're putting things in. And then we see uh, there, there are people who disagree with Jesus, right? Um, so it's not undisputable in the sense that uh, it's, uh, nobody disagrees, but it is not disputable matters. Jesus is telling us these things go in that bucket or that bucket. No disputing, no disagreeing, this is the way it is. And the rest of the Bible follows the same kind of pattern. Uh, we see it quite a bit in the epistles where the apostles call out specific behaviors and say things are sinful, no disputing allowed. Not that these are universally accepted understandings of right and wrong. There are still some people who disagree with Jesus and who disagree with the apostles, but they need to be corrected. <laughs> um, so when the Bible says don't quarrel over disputable matters... It does not mean that we're never to take sides on an issue in which people disagree about what's right and wrong. Sometimes we need to take a stand on an issue and let people know, you think this thing is okay, it's not okay. Or you think it's wrong to do this thing, it's not wrong. 
But there are also times when we need to put things in the disputable matters category and not quarrel over them, right? And of course, that doesn't mean that we can't discuss it and we can't talk about which bucket we think it goes in and all that. We can talk about it without quarreling, right? There's a difference between uh, discussing something and quarreling over it. Um, so let's see what else we find in the text here that helps us better understand the idea of disputable matters and try to get a grip on when things should be put into this bucket and what to do with the things that are in there. So one of the key issues that Paul is dealing with here, as, as we saw, was whether it's okay for Christians to eat meat. Some thought that all good Christians need to be vegetarians. And so here's, here's the deal. Here's why they thought that. In Roman cities, there were temples dedicated to the various gods, uh, you know, uh, Poseidon and Apollo and Venus and Isis and all these others. And one of the ways that people would try to earn favor with the gods was by offering animal sacrifices. And when they brought a sacrifice, a small portion of the animal would be burnt on the altar for the god, and then a small portion would be eaten by the worshiper in a symbolic meal, and then the rest of it went to the priests. And the priests didn't need all that meat, what the priests wanted was money. And so the priests would take the meat and they would go down to the market and sell it. And so when you went to the market, much of the meat that was for sale in the market had been offered to one of these gods in one of these temples. And a lot of times it wasn't very obvious whether the meat you were buying had been offered to an idol or not. And so a lot of Christians said the only way to be safe and not eat uh, somebody's sacrifice is to just not eat meat. So we should all be vegetarians so that we're not eating uh, these sacrificial animals. Um, not really a thing for modern American culture, uh, but it's not too hard to see why this was a, uh, a controversy for these people and why it uh, was a, an issue to be debated and a dilemma for them. So this exact same issue is also discussed in the first epistle to the church of Corinth. And in fact, some of you that have good memories and have been here for a while might remember a few years ago when we did our sermon series, it happened in Corinth too, uh, we covered this material. And I even used the buckets and had the same illustration and stuff because there's so much crossover between Romans 14 and uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. And so, um, so some of you might uh, recognize some of this from our Corinthians series, and we're going to use the passage from Corinthians as our main cross-reference here and go back and forth between Corinthians and Romans to get the full picture of this idea. So we're going to flip over now to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where uh, it tells us, uh, now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Um, that's an interesting answer to the question. <laughs> of should we eat food sacrificed to idols. Um, but that little statement there about knowledge, that's a thing that can be applied to many areas of our lives, right? Um, overestimating our knowledge of an issue puffs up our egos and can be harmful to us in many ways. Even if we're not overestimating it, even if we just have a lot of knowledge about an issue, it can really uh, puff us up. Meanwhile, love does not puff up. Love builds up our neighbors. See, love is greater than knowledge. Right? Of course, the best thing is to have both, 
But if you have to choose one to be really knowledgeable about something or to have love for the people around you, choose love. A few verses down, uh, he explains what knowledge he's talking about here. He says, uh, verse, where are we now? Um, 8.4. So then, uh, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. And then a few verses down, verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So let me paraphrase what Paul has said so far. He says, we know that idols are just pieces of stone and metal. There, there is no such person as Poseidon. There is no such person as Apollo. To offer a sacrifice to these gods is really just kind of a meaningless exercise because these things are not real. But there is another very important consideration in the question of whether a Christian ought to do this disputable thing. And that is that we must take into consideration other people who might not share our understanding of the truth about idols. So Paul refers to them here as people whose conscience is weak so that they cannot break with their old way of thinking that this food is associated with a God and is therefore not for, human, or for Christian consumption. And so that... This illustrates um, one of the, the, the things that, that uh, all the things that belong in the category of disputable matters have in common. It's very clear in the passage here that the disputable behavior uh, is not actually sinful in and of itself. And that's going to be true for everything that goes in this bucket. Um, and it's very clear uh, in the passage here, uh, in the next verse, verse 8, that that is the case, where uh, he says, um, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Eat the food, don't eat the food. Neither one is sinful, neither one brings you close to God. It's not, that's not the issue here. Um, so here's another example. I've got another one of my cards here of uh, another disputable matter that illustrates this idea, a deck of playing cards. Now, some of you are really scratching your heads at this point. Why a deck of playing cards? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, this conviction is not all that common anymore. It used to be more common, uh, but... Uh, some people associate playing cards so strongly with gambling and they feel that gambling is wrong, therefore, playing with playing cards is also wrong because it's so closely associated with gambling. So we should stay away from playing cards just like we should stay away from roulette wheels and slot machines. These are gambling implements, gambling's bad, Christians should stay away from them. Um, however, it is not sinful to play a game of hearts with your friends. Um, but some people have convictions about it 
nonetheless. So it actually goes in the disputable matters bucket. And essentially the same thing goes for the beer, right? It's not that drinking a beer is sinful. However, drinking uh, is not just associated with, but is a contributing factor in many uh, sinful practices. Uh, but technically, it isn't the beer or wine or whatever it is that's, that's a sin. It is getting drunk and losing control of yourself and the many other bad behaviors that drinking can make uh, us more prone to that are actually sinful. Someone can drink alcohol without sinning, but because of the relationship between alcohol and sin, many people consider drinking itself to be sinful. But here's the thing, if something is not actually sinful, then shouldn't we just put it in the acceptable behavior bucket? If all the things in the disputable matters bucket are not sins, why do we need this bucket? Why don't we just put them all in acceptable? Well, the next verses here in 1 Corinthians start to give us the answer to that question. Verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, for instance, your right to uh, play with a deck of cards or to uh, play sports on Sundays or work on Sunday or whatever, uh, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. The person with a weak conscience, remember, is, the, is the, the person who doesn't understand that idols are nothing. Um, they don't understand that playing cards or a glass of wine are not sinful. And so the Bible warns us that if we set the example of freedom to indulge in one of these disputable matters, and another Christian who feels that this behavior is wrong sees us, they will be encouraged to follow our example even though they believe that it's wrong. And that is a real problem. The Bible says that when they go against their conscience in doing something that they believe to be wrong, for them it is sin. And it is the example of the stronger Christian that causes their sin. If we go back to Romans, uh, we see this pretty clearly uh, Verse 14 of Romans 14, it says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. That is to say, it's fine to eat the meat or to play with cards or to work on Sundays or to watch a movie or all these things. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. See, that's a key point. If someone violates their own convictions by doing something that they believe to be sinful, 
that is sinful for them. Even if they're mistaken about whether it's really a sinful practice. You see, doing something that you believe to be wrong is wrong. Now, that doesn't mean you can't change your mind and come to realize that it's really okay. But if you believe it is wrong and you still do it, that's bad. Verse 15 of Romans uh, chapter 14. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not destroy, or sorry, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So that last part is another of the, the big application points today. If your actions are likely to lead another believer to follow your example in violation of their conscience and by doing so to sin against God, then don't do it. Do not, by eating or drinking, cause someone else to sin. A few verses later in Romans, uh, this is verse 20, it says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. It's better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That's one of the main application points of this whole discussion of disputable matters. It's better for you to voluntarily refrain from things that aren't really sinful than to exercise your freedom to indulge and by doing so cause someone else to fall. The Bible tells us restrict ourselves for the sake of others. So does that mean then that we uh, all should just bow to the strictest, most legalistic people around us and and we can never do anything that violates the, the convictions of the most legalistic person we know? No. Paul is not saying that Christians should all stop eating meat sacrificed to idols because some people with weak consciences think that it's sinful for Christians to do so. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians, if we go back over there to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, where he's still on this uh, topic here, uh, verse 25 of chapter 10, he says, "'Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it.'" He's telling the, the Christians, go right ahead and eat it. Uh, not only is it not sinful, the Bible's telling us, feel free to participate in these disputable behaviors. But didn't it just say not to do it? Right? Didn't he just say it's better not to eat or drink if it's going to cause somebody to stumble? If we're really free to indulge, and the Bible seems to be even encouraging us to go ahead, then when is it that we must restrict ourselves for the sake of others? Well, the key is that it isn't simply to avoid being judged by legalists that we need to refrain. It is when our eating or drinking or whatever it is we're doing is likely to cause another Christian who really believes that it's wrong to follow our example, then we must restrain ourselves for their sake. It is not for the judgmental person who is shocked by our unchristian, in their view, uh, behavior and uh, that they would never do themselves, but they just can't believe how you are acting so worldly. That's not the person that's in danger here, right? We're talking not about that person. We're talking about the person who might be tempted to follow 
your example, and uh, despite their own convictions that it is wrong. These kinds of judgmental attitudes are another one of the main application points in this whole discussion in the book of Romans. Look at that again, Romans 14.1. The introductory idea, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. You see, our normal human tendency is for those who understand that there's really nothing wrong with a particular behavior, to look at those who have these unnecessary convictions and think something like, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you realize that idols are just blocks of stone? That every day of the week is really just the same as every other day of the week? A glass of wine is just a beverage. You ignorant legalistic fundamentalists need to get with the program. See, that's what we call contempt. And on the other side of the dispute, uh, these people think those worldly, compromising Christians who live no differently than the sinful world around them, see, that's called judging. And what does the Bible say? It says, do not treat with contempt and judge people who disagree with you about disputable matters. Accept those who have a different view of these things. They are also good Christian people whom God has accepted. Now, one reason why it's hard for us to not uh, get into that judgmental and contemptuous attitude is because a lot of us don't really believe that this third bucket is a thing, right? Um, see, you know, in the, uh, the, there's just two categories, right? Things are either sinful or they're not. There's no other category. And if you disagree, you either need an education in Christian freedom or you need to learn how to say no to sin. But the Bible says, no, it's not that simple. There are disputable matters that we disagree about, and we need to treat those things differently than we do other sins. Another reason it's hard not to judge others is that even when you accept that this third category exists in theory, um, people disagree about what behaviors are really disputable matters and which ones must go in one bucket or the other. Um, some of you probably can't see how playing cards could possibly be a disputable matter. That's got to be in the acceptable, right? Some of you can't believe that beer could possibly be in the disputable category. So we can hope that someday we'll all come to agreement about things like this, but in the meantime, we need to learn to love the people around us who disagree about things like this. And we need to learn to treat them with love and respect. Going back over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 again, verses 23 and 24, it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good 
of others. So yes, we have the right to participate in disputable matters, but we must always remember that we need to seek the good of others and not just our own good. So now that we have accepted that there is this third category of disputable matters uh, and that we need to show love and acceptance rather than to stand in judgment, there's still the work done of moral decision-making, right? There are still valid questions about whether some specific behaviors really belong in disputable matters or they're just plain sin. And, you know, to be honest, I'm not really sure about Game of Thrones. Um, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, maybe I will someday, but I haven't watched it. And it's not because I don't think I'd like it. Um, I actually really like that whole kind of epic fantasy genre and all that stuff. I think I would quite enjoy. But uh, I haven't watched it because um, there's a lot of sex and nudity in it, from what I understand, and I just don't think that would be helpful for me. And so I'm staying away from it. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think that I'm right, though, to put movies like that into the disputable matters bucket. Um, although, I'm kind of tempted to put it in the sinful one, but I'll, I'll keep it there. And we haven't uh, dealt with the COVID things yet. These are still here. Which bucket do those go in? I think mask wearing, I'm going to put that in the acceptable behavior thing that God expects from us when when in the right, you know, in the circumstances. The vaccine, that's a tough one, but I'm gonna put that in disputable. <laughs> um, we could talk about that sometime of why I put those two in the places I did, but uh, it's not easy to know sometimes which one to do, but that's why it's important to think about Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He will help us to understand these things. Last word on this is from 1 Corinthians 10, the end of the discussion here. So, whatever, or so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing so much of your will to us, and we pray that you would continue working to transform our minds so that we can know for sure what you want from us in the various situations of our lives. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.